With the 14th pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the Boston Celtics select Romeo Langford, Grant Williams, Carson Edwards, Vermont Waters, Vincent Poirier, Javante Green, Robert Williams III, Jimmy Ogilvy, Brad Wanamaker, Daniel Tice, Dennis Cantor, Taco Fall, Marcus Smart, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, from the University of Connecticut. And we are back with another episode of From the Raptors. Sam and I are here recording on a Saturday. Uh, We were supposed to record this uh, Friday before Game 5. So if you guys watched Game 5, this is going to be a very different podcast than what it was going to be. Uh, We're here with Tim Shields today. How are you doing, Tim? Doing good, man. Happy to be on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So my first question, uh, we like to start off with an opening question. Tim, do you have any game time superstitions? So usually I don't. Um, it's one of those things where I think there are like certain things that I'll usually do before a game. So yesterday, I think out of anxiety, maybe this will be now my new pregame tradition. But like I went and I got a haircut. I got my car washed. I cleaned my apartment. <laughs> like I did like all of these little things around the house because I'm like, well, if the Celtics lose, I'm going to be like in a deep depression. So I probably won't want to do anything. So <laughs> might as well do it now while I have the hope. Um I think now, though, uh, I'm probably going to wear – I have this Scary Terry hoodie that I cut the sleeves off of, and I wore that for the first time in the playoffs this year in the Celtics won, so maybe that's my new tradition. I see. I see. Yeah, I mean, hey, anything that you did last night, keep doing it, I guess. <laughs> Sam, what did you end up uh, doing? Do you, do you have any superstitions at game time? So I have the shower thing where if they play bad, I go and take a shower at halftime. It worked yesterday. Yeah. Um, <laughs> tomorrow, I will be going to church in the morning, <laughs> and I'm actually going to do it. Like, I'm actually going to go. I might even like post on Twitter like a picture of the church or whatever. Jesus. But yeah, not taking Literally. any risks. Oh man. <laughs> uh, I don't think I have anything like that. I don't. I don't think I'm going to go to church tomorrow. But I, <laughs> I. I, I have, like, anxiety before every game, obviously. Like, uh, I'm a very anxious person in general, so I go to my dad's for a lot of the games. It was his birthday yesterday anyways, so I was going to watch with him. We played golf in the morning – or afternoon, I guess. Um, So I come into this little room that I use to, like – I have my Xbox in here. I, I'm recording podcasts in here. Um, And I have, like, two Celtic sweatshirts, and I have, like, this Celtics hat that I haven't worn in, like, a year because it's I mean, hot out and I don't really wear hats. It's like a beanie with like a, a pom-pom on top or whatever. But I see two sweatshirts. I'm like, well, I wore that one for game five. So I'm not going to wear that. I take off like the sweatshirt I brought down from upstairs. I took my Celtic sweatshirt and my hat, put them on, and just went to my dad's. So you bet your ass I'm not washing that sweatshirt or that hat. And I'm just going to wear it again <laughs> on Sunday. Because, <laughs> I mean, something worked, right? Like, it's it's got to do something at that point. Oh, man. I just... God, I can't, I can't believe it. I, I was so just discouraged at halftime and I just didn't know what to do. Tim, what happened at halftime? What changed? Like, what you got? <laughs> I think my best guess is they just locked in. And I know it's like such a like, oh yeah, like clearly, but there, 
this entire series, when you really look at it in a nutshell, it's not a matter of the Celtics being a worse team or something like that. There are just certain ways that you have to play against your opponent. And when it's a matter of going against the Raptors or going against the Heat, you know, yeah, they both use zone, but, you know, in the half court, it's a completely different team with Miami and they're such a better shooting team. So there's always going to be a period of adjustment. And I don't know, maybe this is what it is. Maybe they finally found their focus, but, you know, for this entire series, they've, for about 70% of it, the Celtics have held the lead, at least through games one through three. I don't know what it was after game four, but that was a statistic, a statistic that was getting dropped a lot on, like, I think it was Comcast Sportsnet that dropped it. So, honestly, Boston may have just come around and just finally realized, like, hey, we can take this team. There's no reason why we should be playing like this. There's no reason why we should be down. And as, honestly, as soon as they started attacking the rim and getting to the paint, it was a completely different game. And if I'm the Celtics, that's that's what I try and do in the next game. Attack, attack, attack. Get in the paint. Draw some contact. Especially if your mark is smart. Um, he's shooting 88% from the field uh, when it comes to the free throw line, rather. So get him to the free throw line. I mean, yeah. Marcus closed out uh, game three, I believe, from the free throw line. So he's been shooting from there well, at least. Uh, Sam, what do you think happened at halftime? I think they realized, hey, like, this is it. You know, and like Tim said, they are definitely the better team. And Brad Stevens might have said it better than anybody. That's the first time that he saw Celtics basketball in a couple games. Like, and he's absolutely Absolutely. right. Yeah. I mean, they finally looked like they were playing with some kind of heart. They were playing hard. They were all playing together. And you can't go wrong. No, yeah, it just looked like they all cared. Like, it looked like they just started to care about winning. Cantor willed them back into the game, and Jalen Brown also willed them back Mm -hmm. into the game. Then everybody else started to believe a little bit. Yeah, no, for sure. Those are two things I wanted to talk about, too. I mean, we can start with Brown, because for the first half, it looked like he was the only one who gave a shit. Like, no one else was playing with energy. I mean, obviously the team as a whole wasn't playing great, but at least Brown was, like, driving to the rim. I feel like he's the most consistent player when it comes to that and obviously when the shot's not there you just gotta drive and Jalen Brown did that Tim why do you think it looked like Brown was the only one who actually cared in the first half I think Brown just plays with a different kind of energy I think Jalen especially is one of those guys that I think when the pressure is up he does lock in Um, some of his decision making can be a little bit worrisome I don't think he's the best uh, creator he really works well when the ball is getting passed to him and then he's able to slash and cut to the rim And I mean, when you give him a lot of looks, he's one of those guys that is extremely efficient when you give them looks. I think like Jason Tatum is one of those guys that you've got to feed volume scoring, whereas like Jalen Brown is a different kind of player where he's going to work with whatever you give him. And similar to, you know, back when we had Kyrie, I remember his role was kind of getting cut down because he was coming back from injury. So he was kind of taking a backseat to other guys. But even though his like minutes or his shot attempts were like going down, his efficiency was going up. So I think that's part of the resilience of just who Jalen Brown is. He's always going to play hard. He's always going to give that effort, that kind of Celtics basketball grit. And, you know, 12 for 23 from the field, four for 10 for three. Uh, that is a big difference maker. And on the whole, the team only had 11 turnovers. That is a massive change. I've always said like you got it's 14 or under magic number is 14. You stay under 14 turnovers against any of these teams and you're attacking the paint like you should be, you should win the game. No, yeah, and praise the Lord for those turnovers, man. I could not deal with another 20 bomb. That was just, 
oh, game four. We don't have to talk about it much, but Jesus. Pain. Oh, yeah, pain, literally. Literally just pain. <laughs> if I had to deal with another one of those, I don't know if I, my, my heart could take it. Uh, Sam, what do you think of Brown and his heart? And just he was the only one who cared. Well, he, he always plays hard. That's what makes him great. That's what makes his team great is they usually tend to play hard. And for some reason, we didn't see it for like the longest time. They seem to figure it out. I mean, you look back since Hayward's come back. I mean, they've won two of the last three. I mean, if you want positives, they're everywhere. Right. And they really Celtics should have won this series already. And they haven't. I mean, they're down. It's It's ridiculous. And it's weird when you think about it that way, too. When you when you talk about, oh, you know, they should be up, and you look at all of the scores and the final scores, and even when we talk about Game 4, right? Like, Game 4 was so frustrating. They lost by three points, man. They were <laughs> yeah. in it. Like, they're in it. They're in the conversation every single one of these games. And there's a lot of other teams that you can't say that about in the playoffs where, you know, they are making it close. They're, you know, they're, they're staying right in it until the very end. And the the main thing is, is they just can't dig themselves into a hole. And I do want to say one thing because there was there was a lot of discourse on Twitter before the game about Marcus Smart, about Gordon Hayward, X, Y, and Z. Marcus Smart, I will say, he cut down on his overall shot attempts. He only had nine on the night, three for nine, two for five from the field, but eight total rebounds, eight assists, four steals, only one turnover. Just an excellent game, and he did all of those things that you need him to do in order for you guys to win. So I do want to give a shout-out to Marcus Smart on there. I have been critical of Marcus Smart, but I think it's also important to realize like when he's playing in his role and he sets that tone for the team, they they come out with the right energy, they play their best ball, and that's what Celtics basketball is. Yeah. For sure. Go ahead, Sam. Do you want to say something? When – I, I agree Marcus definitely was a uh, good amount responsible for game four. Mm. Uh, he made some poor plays down the stretch. Could have been better for sure. But it really sucks to see people get upset with him, even though he did deserve it. But yeah, I know Adam was really like in arguments with people that, I don't know, casual people are the absolute worst. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't I didn't want to say it, but like, yeah, dude, he got eaten alive last night and he's lost a, he's lost like a lot of followers over it. I don't think Adam's it's a smart guy too. Like he doesn't really deserve the no, flack yeah. he gets. It's ridiculous. No. It, well, it, part of it stinks, right? Because I don't think Adam is necessarily off the mark with his point, but it's no. it's a matter of having a nuanced take, and I think he just put it out there just like point a simple fact. And I think he was saying, you know. And this is a conversation that I don't want to have when it comes down to it, but having that conversation about Marcus Smart versus Gordon Hayward, you know, you're going to be looking at a money situation because it's as soon as the offseason happens, that's what's going to be on everybody's mind. So I, I don't want to give it too much leg, but, you know, if you're looking at money-wise what you have to do between the two of them, you know, it really depends on, like, what Gordon Hayward's going to want to get paid, especially, like, when you look at the injuries, can you get him on, like, a four a four-year, like, $80 million deal? Can you get him under that – like basically around 30 mil, like market max contract value. Do you worry about Marcus Smart's fit because you're going to have to pay him more and then you got Jason Tatum's contract extension. So it's like an echo chamber when it comes to that stuff. So bringing that up on Twitter is just going to go ahead and just open up a whole can of worms. And that's exactly what happened. It, as much as I love Marcus Smart, you have to be able to admit, and this goes for all players, like when players make mistakes, that's what it is. You know, like you're going to comment on it. You're Jason Tatum, he had zero points in the first half in game four. 
and a lot of people were on his case about it. You know, he he looked disengaged. He looked disinterested. You know, it looks like he wasn't giving an effort. And then he comes out in the second half and blows the doors off. So it, you have to have a nuanced take when it comes to guys. You know, love and trust Marcus Smart all you want, but you still need to be able to critique him. There still needs to be have a conversation about that because without criticisms, without adjustments, there's no improvement. And you can't just go ahead and have a guy play that way and be like your major culture setter, like being like the heart and soul of your team. You, you can't be flying off the handle in games. So, and he, to his credit, he did great in game five. No, yeah, and Tim, I like what you. I think it was you who tweeted it. Um, you can hate, you can love Marcus Smart, but still be able to get mad at him for stuff or something along those lines, right? Did you you tweeted something like that, or am I thinking yeah, something else? Cr- cr- critiquing his like decision making and shot attempts at times. Yeah, and yeah. like it's true, it's it's not constant. There are games where Marcus Smart just lights it up from three, and it's like great. You know, the way I look at it is like every shot attempt, like every shot is a good shot until it doesn't go in and that's really like every single time I think about that with Marcus Smart it's just it can't be more true yeah, I mean you should tell that to Paul George too he's the king of that but it, it's just it, it's just a matter of if it's going in if people hate on him because like that Raptors game too right he just drained it was Steph Curry from three and then in game four his shot selection was questionable at best so it's like you guys are saying a matter of if it's going in or not so it's it's tough to judge, but that's one of the things I wanted to talk about is the shot selection. Uh, Adam's huge on the committee of Marcus Smart shouldn't be taking a lot of shots, and from the way last night went, he looks like he's kind of right because Marcus Smart took less than 10 shots and the Celtics had a blowout. Uh, Celtics' wins have come by a total of 24 points, their two wins, and the three Heat wins combined have come by a total of 13 points. So it's not like the Heat are the better team, like you guys are saying as well. But do you think Marcus Smart needs to consistently be taking under 10 shots if they're not necessarily falling? Obviously, if they're going in, keep shooting. But once they start missing, I'll start with you, Tim. Do you think he needs to take like that backseat like he did in Game 5? I think it's a matter of selection, right? And that's always what it's come down for me, at least with Marcus Smart. I feel like if he's going to take a high volume of shots, it's got to be in the paint. Like, I think he needs to take a max of four or five threes in a game. He shouldn't have more than Jalen. He shouldn't have more than Kemba. And you already know that Jason Tatum is going to get the lion's share of looks, uh, especially from three. That's just how it is. But with Marcus Smart, I think you need to get him in the paint. You know, when I look at the Celtics and I think about guys who finish in the paint well, you know, Kemba's capable of finishing, but he's a little undersized. But in terms of body control, there's not too many other Celtics that have better body control than Marcus Smart when it comes to, like, finishing in the paint. Like, he'll bounce off a guy, finish the shot, draw the and one, and he's done that consistently throughout the playoffs. You know, in that Raptors series, he's your second best player, without question. So I think he works better when you get him in the paint. Um, His three-point shots need to be minimal. And overall, I think you need to keep him under, like, 12 looks. I think 12 looks a game, and if he's driving to the hoop and getting fouls, you know, if he gets, you know, five or six free throws from the line, then that's perfect. You need him to be doing that, and he plays with that kind of energy. So that's that's your best bet, in my opinion. You know, when you look at it, I, I think there's only a, a couple other guys who are capable of doing what he does in the paint. And, yeah, I think Marcus Smart excels there, and he should be getting more looks there. Mm-hmm. It, the only thing for me is it gets a little worrisome when he starts looking for contact instead of just taking the layup. But I, I would agree. Sam, what also, do you think? Yeah, yeah, I mean, one of those looks last night on the fast break was tough, but uh, Sam, what do you think about Marcus Smart's shot selection and everything we're talking about? Well, I think he's really efficient in the paint, but it's funny you mentioned um, 
looking for contact, that's a big problem throughout the league. I mean, if you watched the game yesterday, Drogic does it. Um, Tatum does it a lot. I really hate when Tatum does it. Kemba too. Yeah. They need to, like, change the rules or something. Like, if you're not – if it's not a shot you would take if no one's next to you, then you shouldn't be taking it. Like, it should not be a foul. I don't think there's any no, way yeah. around it. Yeah, I agree. And one of the big things for me with Tatum is he's going to start getting so many offensive foul calls, man. Like when he quote unquote looks for contact, like you said, he literally just takes his arm and shoves off of the defender. Like that's just, it scares me every time because he could have fouled out of like a lot of these games with that move. Yeah. And another thing is like the the whole fouls on jump shots. I've said this time and time again, but like they need to stop. Like it's ridiculous. The one with uh, Crowder last night, I think he got – they called a foul on Kemba. It was ridiculous. He didn't even touch him. Jay's been bad with that this series. Jay yeah. has been, like, throwing his body around a lot. And you know what? A guy like Jay Crowder, like, yeah, he's going to do that. Like, that's what he's going to do because if you look at the way that that team is built, he's kind of like that hustle guy. And way back when, you know, when we originally had him, we all kind of admitted, even though, you know, his play kind of ebbed and flowed, Jay Crowder can be an important piece on a championship squad. He, at the very least, is like, at bottom floor, he's like a capable starter. If he's like your fourth or fifth option, that's not a bad thing. And Miami's clearly putting him to use well, and he's a perfect 3 and D guy when it comes down to it. So it, it doesn't surprise me that players are trying to pull this. And I think it speaks volumes when you look at Twitter and you see like actual NBA players right now commenting, being like the flopping is out of control. Like you've got Bradley Beal tweeting about it. They talked about it during the game, the commentary team. It's it's awful. And that's also on the officiating too, you know, right? So it is. You shouldn't reward it. Yeah. Well, and that's also the thing with like a LeBron complaining to the league about free throws, right? That was ridiculous. If, if you here's, this is what it waters down to because the fans don't like it. Like, granted, you want to see your guys get to the line, but you want a clean call game, right? You want it to be as even as possible when it comes to free throws. That way it removes any inkling of doubt about complaining about free throws or foul calls or, you know, you know, in preferential treatment from the refs or whatever. And it's a really easy solution. The refs need to stop rewarding people who complain. You need to call yeah. the clean game. You need to call it what it is. Admit when you're wrong. And try and clean up the way you're officiating because at the end of the day, you know, you're putting out last two minute reports and it's just riddled full of holes in a lot of cases. And then you've got fans complaining and tweeting at, you know, NBA refs official and like I've done it before too. can't complain, you know, like that's just a matter of fact. So (laughs) it's just a matter of them cracking down on officiating. It's really easy to clean it up, but like they need to put the effort in there to, to actually make it more even in more even keeled at least to like you go ahead sam go ahead they just need to like tighten up the rules and they need to stop with the reviews unless they they added the coach's challenge which is fine but it hasn't been as bad this series to their credit and that has a lot to do with miami too shout out to miami for not being a bunch of pricks but like in the raptors series (laughs) something would happen and they would literally call for a review every time i hate nick nurse I hate Nick Nurse. Him and Lowry. Like, hate anytime something happened, they just start motioning for the review with their hand. Great like, coach. the shit. Come on. Yeah, just like if you're going to challenge it, challenge it. Like don't like petition the refs to look at it. If you want it to be challenged, then tell your coach to challenge it. Don't don't try and petition the ref to go ahead and review it just because your feelings are hurt 
Okay. <laughs> That's on the refs too. I mean, they shouldn't give into it. Absolutely. Yeah. The, one of the worst ones for me last night was when Drogic jumped in two feet in front of the three-point line on his shot, and Tice was yeah, just kind Tice of standing his there. His feet his were back. planted. His feet were planted. He was not off the ground. Like, he like Drogic initiated the contact. And, like, look, to a certain point, I get it, like, what the league is trying to do, where it waters down to they want more scoring. You want more scoring in the league. And, it, and this is a similar problem, actually, with football, I feel like, where it's getting harder and harder for defensive players to play defense without getting called for, you know, a penalty or a foul. And it just it, it gets more and more frustrating. So especially with the war on Tice, but I won't go too much into that. But the war on Tice is actually not bad yesterday. Not bad yesterday, but it, it's been pretty bad previously. It was worse than the Raptors series, but overall, I think, Toronto had more bigs that gave them problems just because Serge Ibaka just buries threes. Tice, Tice got uh, Drogic out of the game last night. Kelly, Needing the ball. Fitting. Fitting. Yeah, he did. Oh, so I honestly hate Drogic. Drogic is my <laughs> least favorite person on this team. He was almost a Celtic. Really? Yeah. Drogic so was? Yeah, or his so... brother? No, well, actually, his brother was for about, like, five seconds before yeah, they ended up like, waving him or something. <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, Drogic was one of the guys. So, like, way back when, back during the uh, trade deadline where we acquired Isaiah Thomas, there was uh, multiple, like, rumors of what was going on. There was three different point cards they were looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, it might have been four. I don't know if they were looking at Eric Bledsoe. I don't think they were. But it was basically they were looking at Ty Lawson, they were looking at Goran Dragic, and they were looking at Isaiah Thomas. Both Dragic and Thomas were still on the Suns at that point. Uh, Eric Bledsoe, I think, was still there. Yeah, was still there. And what ended up happening was Dragic was like rumored to be going to the Celtics potentially, but then he ended up getting traded to the Heat. And then the deadline passed, and like a minute or two after the deadline, the Isaiah Thomas move came through. So he almost ended up with the Celtics. What a he was blessing that was. I mean, it's kind of crazy when you look back yeah. at that Phoenix Suns team, too, where they literally, their point guard core was Goran Dragic, Isaiah Thomas, and Eric Bledsoe, and they couldn't make that work. <laughs> and now they can't they can't buy a point guard. They have they Rubio now. But... Yeah, like, oh. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. It's really miraculous in that situation. Like, if they still, like, had Bledsoe and they, like, managed to please him, they would have the defensive backcourt or the defensive prowess of Bledsoe with the scoring of Devin Booker in their backcourt. And that honestly might be one of the better backcourts in the league, except they just fucked it up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I, I mean, like if that's on both parties, you know, it's on, it's on the team in terms of building and management. And then it's also on the player, like quite literally being like, I don't want to be here. Yeah, no, literally. Oh man, that, that was painful. I, I feel for him though. He's in a better situation now, so I can't blame him. Um, Without question. Kind of, yeah. We kind of danced around this subject a little, or we not really danced around, but we talked about it. But uh, I have written down here, Kemba and the foul frenzy of the second quarter. What the fuck was that offensive foul call? <laughs> like, like, why would you review that for a flagrant? First of all, they both flopped. Second of all, wh- what, are you, like, what are they doing at that point? Tim? You're talking about the hook, right, with Drogic? Yeah, like, yeah, you know exactly what I'm like, What the fuck? <laughs> I mean, you, okay, so for one, you, you can't hook a guy. So that was a clear foul. But, like, going for a flagrant was ridiculous. I wouldn't be surprised if there's going to be some fines coming down. I wouldn't be surprised if there's going to be a fine on Kemba and maybe a fine on Dragic. Like, who knows? But it's those kind of calls that are hurting the game, right? And even the like the the commentators are saying, like, this is ridiculous. Like, we don't need to be reviewing this. Like, 
they're speaking on the behalf of fans. And I feel like most fans are going to agree. Like that was a colossal waste of time. <laughs> like that was so stupid and ridiculous. There was no need to be having, you know, a review for that. There just, it just wasn't, there was no need. So in my opinion, if they can try and be a little bit cleaner with those calls, clean it up a little bit, then it's going to make for a better series. And who knows? I just don't want there to be a continuation of this into the finals for whichever teams make it. Like it just, it's not going to be enjoyable basketball. No. Yeah. That was, that was ridiculous. Sam, do you have thoughts on the whole foul bullshit, like with the review and just all of it? (laughs) I think it's awful. I mean, it's really annoying too. I mean, more so in the Toronto series, it was annoying because you had a call go that was like a little controversial and they would instantly start calling for a review and they weren't using a coach's challenge, mind you. They were just, you know, bitching. And then it would get reviewed and it would get overturned and there was no penalty for them using a challenge. Like they were just getting free review. Like obviously you want to get the calls right and all that, but I don't know. I feel like the reviewing needs to stop. It should be no, yeah. it, it should be a challenge. Like it should cost a challenge, right? Or at the very least, like it like they can't just do it on a whim like that. And I, I do agree that it was definitely more egregious in the Toronto series. You're not seeing the heat go ahead and start trying to petition for calls as much. You do see it a little bit, like there always is gonna be a little bit, but like with the Toronto series, it was over the top. I feel like with this one, it's a little bit less that, and I think it's more disciplined play. I think Miami is a better coach team just because Eric Spolstra is just so much more seasoned than Nick Nurse. And that's not a shot across the bow because Toronto was the you know reigning champions. But the way they conducted themselves in that series versus this series with the Heat, it's just it's a very different situation, different feel. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Yeah. No, yeah. And, and while we're talking about this, I really just don't hate the Heat. Like, can, can we put aside, like, the whole series for a sec? Tyler Harrow is so fucking good. Like, oh we my God. Him. We should have gone. Yeah. Possibly I mean, should have gone. It's unfortunate that they couldn't have. The Heat didn't take him. I feel like he ends up a Celtic, but that kid is special. Like, holy shit. Like, Sam, let me go to you first here, actually. Because I know you don't, like, you are purely Celtics. You're the most purely Celtics guy I've ever met. Like I, like you hate LeBron, like all of this stuff. Thoughts on here. You should hate LeBron. I, okay, I mean, okay, there's no what? reason not to hate him. <laughs> my, okay. My point exactly. Yeah, but we just talked about it. He, they literally wrote a, a letter to the league because he wasn't getting enough calls. Are you kidding me? I, I mean, in, in the grand spectrum of everything, I don't hate LeBron. That was absurd, but like, I don't hate him as a person or as a player in the grand scheme of things, but just give me your thoughts on Tyler hero from, where you're sitting uh i i've i have a very difficult like so i've heard (laughs) like really good reason to dislike tyler hero because he's like i don't know he's just unnecessarily like over the top like off the court the way he acts the cornrows uh (laughs) i i'm a big fan of toucher and rich and fred who is toucher he brought like a great point like he's like this kid from the suburbs of milwaukee and like he acts like he had the toughest like upbringing you could ever imagine like he's he wants to be black and he's like privileged white i remember watching an interview it was him and jimmy and bam doing one of these like the celtics did one too when they did the slam cover 
So yeah. they did an interview and they, they said they're talking about the beach and Jimmy Butler goes, I can't swim. And Tyler Hero goes, I can't swim either. And Jimmy goes, exactly. You there you go. Exactly. <laughs> Damn, you got some hood tendencies. And Tyler like laughs at it. I was just like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. <laughs> it was weird. No, but like purely as a basketball player though, like you got to respect what he did in game four. Like from a Celtics fan, like, ouch, but like, wow. Right. Like, like yeah. Ouch. And yes, it is impressive, but like, He's not doing it all the time. It's yeah. not that he can't do it. It's just the amount that it is going to be talked about. Like they are saying Magic Johnson is the only other person to do it. Like Magic Johnson and Tyler Hero are not on the same level. Of course. It's the OG3 this series. It's yeah. never going to stop talking about it. And it's, yeah. don't get me wrong. It's really impressive because he's a rookie, right? And the fact that he's a sharpshooter, like in in my mind, I think at bare minimum he's going to be like a Kyle Korver type, and that is very very good. I think he's a little bit more athletic, but that's neither here nor there. It's so early on. He's a kid, you know, and he just came out and had an amazing performance in the Eastern Conference Finals. So it it's going to get talked about, and mm-hmm. it, it should. Um, when it comes to like Miami and how I feel about them, it is I kind of I respect them. I respect them a little bit more than I respect the Raptors just because, as I said, that Raptors series was very frustrating from a ref standpoint in terms of how I feel about the heat overall. I respect them, but I still hate them. (laughs) And there are a couple players on the heat that I definitely love regardless of them being on the heat. Uh, So like Kelly Olenek, I definitely like Harrow and Robinson. It sucks to go against them uh, because they're just going to destroy you. But it's just impressive what they've come in and done at such a young age. Um, it, those are the kind of sharpshooters that, as a Celtics fan, I would covet to have in Boston. That's just a given. I think when I look at the Heat, too, with Jimmy Butler, you know, he's another guy that he's kind of come in and kind of remade himself in terms of his reputation. And Spolstra is also just this season, seasoned coach. And, you know, for a while there, when he had that big three Miami, that stretch of time, I hated the Heat. So the fact that he's able to go ahead and do this with another core is just testament to the fact that, hey, it wasn't just LeBron. He's actually a good coach, and he's actually able to coach up a team and get to where he is today. So that's credence to him as well. Uh, I think when it comes to LeBron, too, you know, that's another guy. And I, I, I looked at Kobe in the same way, where there are guys who played the Celtics for years, and you're so used to that matchup that you can't help but hate them. But at the end of the day, you kind of have to look back and be like, respectfully, just to say, hey, you know what? They're a hell of a basketball player. And regardless of what my allegiances are in terms of teams, you come to respect them because it's just, it's a mutual respect kind of thing. It's like Derek Jeter, like Derek Jeter, like I hate the Yankees, but I respect the hell out of Derek Jeter, you know? Facts, facts. I feel like it's hard to hate Derek Jeter. I like what you said about Korber. I would argue that it's more Tyler Hero is like a B Tech Devin Booker, and then Duncan Robinson, like you're talking about, is Kyle Korver because like they have like so many shooters. You can call them all Kyle Korver at that point. It's only because he's white, right? That's, that's the comparison <laughs> we're making right now. Clearly, no, it's it's Got sharp him. shooting threes, man. It's impressive. I haven't seen too many players come in like that. They're coming right in out the gate that hot. Is impressive. And and I like Duncan Robbins too. Like I watched an interview with him. He was on the JJ Reddick podcast and he just seems like he's this random ass kid who's just like, how the hell did I end up here? Cause he's sitting there and he's like, is it real to you that you're on a heat team? He's like, 
dude, I still like he's he just like he, he reminds me of like one of like us, just a random college kid. If you put him in the NBA and gave him God's ability to shoot the ball, like he just seems like a nice dude. So I, I respect him. Also, you guys mentioned that the hero thing is like taking over. How the hell is Tyler Harrow's game, which as impressive as it was, taking over? Like no one's talking about Bam's block anymore, which I would argue is far more important. And I like Bam more as a player too. So like, how is no one talking about that anymore? Just from the Heat perspective, like it's all hero and just Bam did nothing because like Bam doesn't block that ball. This is series is completely flipped. Bam is another guy that I love on the Heat. Yeah, yeah, he's I like a guy the Celtics. Yeah. So what's I mean, it called? I lagged when Tim was talking about LeBron and Kobe. <laughs> now, <laughs> LeBron is the absolute worst. Oh, There's man. a difference between LeBron and Kobe because LeBron is such a diva, always complaining. Like Kobe's whole thing is hard work, Mamba mentality. And when I think of LeBron, I just think of complaining. And, like, I don't know. He just seems like a big phony to me, and I cannot stand the guy. I think it's a matter of the mercenary, right? Yeah. In my opinion, like, I think with Kobe, and even then, like, don't get me wrong, there was a point in time where Kobe was ready to demand a trade from the Lakers. And there was a point in time where, like, Paul Pierce was very close to demanding a trade from the Celtics. So that happens sometimes at the big leagues, but... With LeBron kind of going in and having the influence that he does, there is reason to dislike him. Like, he goes into a situation in basically his de facto GM and saying, like, hey, trade all your assets to go ahead and do this. I think one of the more despicable things that he did was when he left Miami to go to Cleveland again. And when he left Miami, he was like, yeah, you know who who I really like in the draft? Shabazz Napier. I like Shabazz Napier. And so he drafted Shabazz Napier. And then he left in free agency. So <laughs> that's something that sure I think best. is despicable. <laughs> just like so, like, just so ridiculous, man. And like, don't get me wrong. I liked Shabazz Napier when he came, you know, when he was coming out of college. Different story now. Different point card. Didn't live up to that expectation is what it is. But for a player to go ahead and have that kind of control and then have like the gall and the nerve to complain about X, Y, and Z and like talk about team building and like throwing teammates under the bus. It's not a good look. He's still one of the greatest players of all time and he's the greatest player of his generation, but it doesn't mean you have to like him. Like that's the thing is like you can. He's a prick. Well, this it was the same thing with like the Marcus Smart stuff, right? Like you can, you can hate Marcus Smart, but you can also admit that he adds value. Like there's the two are not mutual. You can you can critique a player but still love them. You can hate a player but still acknowledge that they're talented. Like there's it's a matter of separating emotion from fact. And like you can have a nuanced take that involves emotion and how you feel about a player, but it that doesn't take away from the, the statistical, undeniable, you know, ink on paper fact about that player. You know? I'm not saying he sucks, I'm just saying he's a prick. No, I'm just I'm just running back around to it. But. Tim, Tim, <laughs> you'll never. I've had we've had this argument like dozens of times. There's no getting around it. Sam's oh, it's response not an argument. Always, it's just a conversation. I oh definitely, yeah, 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 it's no. not like I. It's not like just, I I'm like just saying, No matter what you say, it's always going to be LeBron's a prick. Final statement, and like, I respect it. Respect it. I'm just saying, like <laughs> you're not going to get anywhere. LeBron um, has been reading The Godfather for like five years. 
every time like he's in the locker room he's reading it like how many Uh, how long does it take you to read a book buddy uh fun fact uh shabazz napier is drafted 24th in the 2014 draft uh clint capello is 25 bogdan bogdanovich was 27 uh joe harris was 33 spencer dinwiddie was 38 jeremy grant was 39 and nicole Jokic was 41 so uh (laughs) don't want to don't don't want to go too revisionist with the draft but like yeah. Yikes! I mean, when when Clint Capella was immediately after, and Bogdanovich was two picks after, that's a little tough. Like, ah, but hey, Shavaz Napier, man, cool name. He's got, he's got a cool name. I'll give him that. Sure. Uh, anyways, wrapping things back around to the Celtics, uh, we had to talk about the Heat. I think I'm just a sucker for an underdog, so that's where some of my respect comes from. Um, but Ennis Cantor came in in Game Five and kind of literally flipped everything on his head in my opinion like he got some easy buckets in the paint and I don't know if that transitioned the Celtics into focusing more on the paint because early on they were just whiffing threes left and right like it was ugly the first quarter was one of the most depressing quarters of basketball I've watched in a long time uh and then keeping the thing with the centers Daniel Tice's defense was just amazing and he was great late game so what do you think the key is and the balance is? I'll start with you, Tim, for Cantor versus Tice for the rest of the series. I mean, it has to be Tice, but I think you put in Cantor when you when you need some points in the paint, and you know, it, it you almost kind of sound like a uh, like a like a middle aged dad, and this is definitely something that my own dad has said to me before, where it's like they've got to get in the paint, they got to attack the rim, they got to do this, and. I feel like when they need to do that, they should put in Cantor. I think because when you look at Miami and the way that they play, the reason why, for example, like I talked about this in one of the articles I put up on Bannertown, uh, when you look at the Celtics and like them playing small, the only reason they're able to trot out that like best five lineup where they have Tatum at the five is because Miami primarily plays like really, really small. They're the big that's almost constantly going to be on the floor is Bam Adebayo. Occasionally, they will have, in very short spurts, they will have Kelly Olynyk and Bam on the floor at the same time. But generally, they use Olynyk to spell Bam's minutes. So Bam will get some rest when Olynyk's out there starting at the five. So really, that's what they've been doing. You're like They've got Myers Leonard on the bench, who's a seven-footer. But other than that, they really don't have a lot of size. So when you put Kanner out there, he's going to be able to body dudes. So if you're trying to get buckets in the paint, if you're trying to draw fouls, that's the way to go. You know, And there were some shots where Kanner definitely missed. But to be fair, he also hasn't gotten a lot of runs since probably like the first round. He got some looks in Toronto, but generally they had to go smaller with that just because of how mobile the bigs were. But there are definitely situations if the Celtics need buckets or are trying to, you know, stave off like a Miami run. If they're trying to slow the game down and control the pace, putting in Canner, not a bad idea. You can live with it. And clearly, like, he had a positive influence on this game and helped turn the tide last night. I don't think that's I don't think that's debatable at this point. No, yeah, and I think it took Brad Stevens a few games to figure out, okay, Robert Williams or Cantor for the series because it's tough when you have Bam being so athletic, but then the Heat also being really good at kind of like killing Robert Williams defensively. I mean, they kill Cantor too, but at least Cantor gives you those easy buckets. So I, I think that was definitely hard. Rob is hard because you, you want him to get minutes and develop more. And he's super athletic, but yeah. he struggles when they go on the switches. So, you know, for example, they had – I saw a clip from it from – I think it was game four where they had Rob Williams in there. And Rob Williams got hit with the pin down by Drogic, and then there was another pick – a high pick 
um, that opened up Tyler Harrow for a three. And the problem was, is right after the pin down, you know, he got free from Drogic because Drogic ended up setting the pin down and then just, you know, walking away to the perimeter. And Rob Williams just didn't go any further than a few feet outside of the paint. You know, he was towards the elbow and he didn't go any further. And what's supposed to happen is on that high pick and roll is Rob Williams would roll up to try and help because his man that got free because of the pin down is now setting the screen at the top of the three. So that's what got Harrow open. And it's like, he, he's got to be faster on those. I think he will get there. And I think it's just a matter of playing time and adjusting. But it, it those are one of those things where he's just, you know, he missed a lot of time his rookie season. He missed a lot of time this year. And those are just things that are just going to come with practice and time and putting in that effort. He just has to pick up on it faster. That's all. Yeah. And I don't think Cantor's necessarily great at getting out there. He knows he has to on those closeouts. So I think that definitely helps.
Breen. Mike Breen's pretty great. But Mark Jackson is the Bye.